As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Having a miscarriage, a stillborn, or an early infant loss can be very isolating and emotionally difficult for a woman. During this time, how can you reach out and get the support you need? I'm Yvonne Rothermel, a licensed clinical social worker in private practice specializing in postpartum mood disorders, birth trauma, and infant loss. Today we'll discuss how to reach out and seek support after losing a baby. This is Preggy Pals, episode 75. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant and I have to exercise. What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants fit. I've got kinkles. What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Preggy Pals is your weekly, online, on-the-go support group for expecting parents and those hoping to become pregnant. I'm your host, Annie Laird. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners who have joined the Preggy Pals Club. Our members get special episodes, bonus content after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. See the website for more information. Another way for you to stay connected is by downloading our free Preggy Pals app available in the Android and iTunes marketplace. I'd like to throw this over to Stephanie at this point, who's going to be talking about our virtual panelists. Stephanie, do you want to go into that a little bit more? Sure, Annie. Okay, so basically, yeah, if you're in the San Diego area or anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, really, um, we'll be posting some kind of sneak preview questions before uh, our tapings, you know, about the week before. And uh, we want you to get involved by answering our questions. And if you're on Twitter, you can follow the hashtag Preggy Pals VP. If you're on Facebook, just go ahead and like our Facebook page. If you want more information, you can go to preggypals.com, go to the community tab, and you'll find Be a Virtual Panelist for more information. Well, wonderful. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, well, let's get into our panelist introductions this morning. Starting off with myself, I am Annie Laird. I'm 35 years old. I am a government contractor by day. I am on a birth doula on hiatus right now as I'm 35 weeks pregnant. So uh, none of that for me right now. I have two children. I, again, I mentioned uh, the third one's on the way. Uh, I have had three losses, all of them between my first and my second children. Uh, two of them were miscarriages and then the third was a ruptured ectopic pregnancy, which was very scary So and sad. Uh, so let's uh, continue around the room. Hi, I'm Rachel Redhouse, and I am 31, and I have a home daycare. 
And I have four living children, and I've had two losses. One, a 12-week miscarriage, and one was a full-term infant loss. Hi, I'm Sky Wilson, and I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have two surviving or living children. Uh, one is seven, one is 19 months, and I've suffered four losses. Three were first trimester miscarriages, and then I suffered um, the neonatal loss of my son, Brandon, in 2009 uh, after full-term pregnancy. He was three days old. Oh, good morning. I'm Suzanne. Um, I'm 43 years old. Um, I'm a chemist, but I've um, taken a few years off to be home with my boys. I have two sons, uh, 9 and 11, and those were my first two pregnancies. And then um, after those boys were born, I lost three my next three pregnancies. Um, one was, uh, the first one was a 13-week loss. The second one was um, a second trimester loss due to premature rupture of membranes. And my third one was a first trimester miscarriage. Well, ladies, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I realize that this is a sensitive topic. You know, we've all experienced loss, some early losses, some later losses. This is a difficult topic. So Yvonne, thank you for joining us today. And all the panelists, thank you for, for joining us this morning. Thank you. <coughs> Sound familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Okay, we have a question from one of our listeners, and this comes from Krista Davis. And Krista writes, my husband and I are in the planning stages of conception. My doctor has already said that I would be considered very high risk because of my size. She says she's 4'10", 90 pounds. And her mother's pregnancy history as well. Um, her doctor um, it was her mother's doctor and saved their lives when she was six months pregnant and experiencing eclampsia. Eclampsia? Is right. it preeclampsia? Yeah. There's two uh, different things? Eclampsia is seizures after okay. developing preeclampsia. Okay. Got it. Okay. She says, he already told me I would be required to have a C-section and early delivery. I would really like to at least consider a natural birth. I hate meds and they affect me harshly, but he isn't even open to this idea and I'm not even pregnant yet. Am I too optimistic or is he correct that a safe pregnancy and birth aren't possible for me? So Dr. Donishman, what do you what do you say to that? Well, I think, you know, the, uh, um, uh, it's never 100%. You know, the recommendations we make are actually true. So have I seen patients that are, you know, four foot ten, you know, ninety pounds deliver vaginally? Yes. So it depends on what her pelvis is like, you know, what the size of the partner is. You know, she develops, for example, gestational diabetes. So I would say that she's got a certainly a higher likelihood of needing a cesarean section. So I mean, you know, twenty five percent of women right now undergo C sections here in the US and you know, that that number for her most likely is gonna be higher. Uh, but I wouldn't say Abs- well, you know, absolutely. So, Krista, I would say, uh, you know, go through the pregnancy. You know, obviously, uh, he or she is going to check your uh, 
um, uh, your pelvis, and uh, they're going to have you know, they're going to do ultrasounds, at least some serial ultrasounds, and, and just you know talk to your physician. But it's never absolutely 100%. There are patients that I examine and I tell them, you know, your, for example, your pubic angle is very narrow and we've got a higher risk of needing a C-section and most, we may end up with a C-section, but it's never 100% because I right. could be wrong. Right. So, you know, if the patient really wants to deliver vaginally, which is always better for both mom and baby, uh, then, um, then we give it a try. But at least we have that in the back of our mind. Krista, I would say, you know, if she does go into labor, let's say the baby size is, you know, seven pounds and she's, you know, she's been doing well and her clinical pelvimetry is reassuring. If obviously she stalls, then got a lot more likely that we're not going to mess around too much and go ahead and mm-hmm. deliver her. Again, the idea is to have a safe baby and a healthy mom. That's the idea. That's the goal. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Today on Preggy Pals, we're discussing how to reach out and seek support after losing a baby. Our expert today is Yvonne Rothermel. She's a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in infant loss. Again, thank you for joining us today. So what are some common emotions that a woman experiences after a loss? Well, first of all, I think these kinds of losses are very different than other kinds of losses um, of someone who maybe loses an uncle where everyone knows the person and can have memories and share. These are very lonely losses for moms, very isolating. And, um, you know, we're talking about losses like miscarriage all the way up to infant loss. And, you know, there's different challenges, obviously, for each. And we tend to think that as gestational age goes on, that losses get more difficult. And and generally that that may be the case, but I think um, it's very important to understand that early losses and miscarriages are are extremely difficult as well um, because it's a very disenfranchised loss because um, people think, oh, it's kind of, you know, you, you don't really tell people to the 12 weeks, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's it's a little bit more like expected that you should just move forward and try to get pregnant again. But for some people, that's, you know, very difficult. And we don't know their history about how hard they tried to get pregnant, how attached they were from the moment they got pregnant mm-hmm. about this baby and how many what number of losses was for them. Um, as you can see around the table, you've had multiple miscarriages and it's, that can be very traumatic as well. So, um, you know, it's very lonely and isolating. Oftentimes, uh, at first, it's everybody's kind of in a fog. There's sometimes a lot of medical things that need to happen to get the mom sort of, you know, back on the road to recovery. And so right when, um, you know, you're kind of coming out of the fog a few months down the road is sort of the time when all the emotions hit you. And yet everyone thinks that you should be on your way to healing. Exactly. And that can be a very lonely place to find yourself in a time that's really important to seek out help. Yeah. Um, Oh, and I can definitely relate. um, And please, uh, ladies around the table, chime in uh, at any time so I can speak to my ruptured ectopic pregnancy. I did not even know I was pregnant. And so there was emergency surgery that needed to happen um, 
in order to have me survive. And so that was number one on, on everyone's priority list. Of It wasn't until the emotions of just how scary that was caught up to me afterwards of, oh my goodness, I could have right. widowed my husband and right. mo- had my, my uh, existing child at that, my one existing child would have not had a mother at that point. So uh, that was just those uh, emotions of uh, fright and fear and then what you said, the loss came a little bit later. Once everything was stable, right. they replaced a lot of the blood right. I lost. And the other thing I think that gets minimized with moms is that some of these losses can be very traumatic mm-hmm. because, I mean, without getting into too much detail, I mean, I've heard lots of different kinds of scenarios which are incredibly traumatic in how women lose their, their babies. And, and so um, you also have a tra- trauma component to it. Mm-hmm. So you've got trauma and you've got loss, both. Right. Um, and, and even if you don't meet the criteria for PTSD, there's still traumatic stress. And trauma usually accentuates grief and grief accentuates trauma. So mm-hmm. moms are sometimes dealing with both, but they don't sort of recognize that in themselves. Right. And if they go back to the hospital, they drive by, they may have a reaction, you know, having to go back for the postpartum visit at the doctor's office can be very difficult and mm-hmm. traumatic for moms to do. So there's a lot we don't sort of recognize about that. Um, I was just going to add to that and, and mention that I, that was one of the things for me that was the most difficult and surprising was the physical component. Uh, because like Yvonne said, when we lose someone we love, typically there's not a physical connection to that, to that experience as far as, you know, um, hormonally, well, the loss of blood and the physical part right. of, it's of not ha- the f- it's not the same thing as losing a great, a great uncle or right something or like even that, yeah. even even um, a child um, that you know has been living. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that that was unexpected for me was the emotional forgetting that you know when you are pregnant, you, there's a lot of hormones and things going on, and so you have that experience going on as well as the physical trauma and the emotional trauma kind of all together and and it's it's a lot you know it's a lot more than you may expect and I think also I wasn't expecting to feel so uh devastated Mm -hmm. by the experience my first loss was um at 13 weeks and I it was my third pregnancy my first two pregnancies resulted in my two sons that I have um I had actually thought about being a surrogate uh because I, you know, I was able to exercise during pregnancies. I felt well. I was never sick. Um, my boys were born full term, healthy, and mm-hmm. and then having that um, truck hit me and <laughs> basically right. like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, it was really th- yeah. the the trauma aspect of it was something I wasn't expecting. Right. Speaking on the loneliness part, I think it's hard too, especially if it's an earlier um, loss your partner may not necessarily have connected with that pregnancy yet or as much as you do as a woman. Um, so you feel lonely, although your partner may feel the pain. It's it's a different kind of pain, and, and they just want to comfort you and make you feel better, but um, you do feel lonely because there's no... There's no one that can relate to you at that point, even your partner, who, yeah. who makes you're you, the makes one you want to feel better. It. Right. And Yvonne, that kind of goes into my next question is, you know, so there's all these feelings of loss, of trauma, mm-hmm. um, even mm-hmm. uh, with the woman who has lost the pregnancy, lost the child. How are the emotions different for that woman's partner? Well, I think, as Rachel said, it can be very different depending on gestational age, right? Mm-hmm. And and it may not feel as much. I mean, they not to minimize dad's experiences, because I'm sure there are many dads that are very 
devastated by miscarriage as well. But but as you say, it's not the same experience. They don't see it's not as physical to them as when the baby grows and maybe they can feel the baby and see him on an ultrasound. Um, But oftentimes what you see with couples um, is that, um, you know, initially mom tends to usually typically be the one who has more of the emotional part of it. Um, And then dads often compensate and try to like take care of mom. Right. And but but then moms feel like, well, where's his grief? You know, am I in this by myself? But but really what you see is that dad's often trying to take care of mom and you see this sort of seesaw effect. But if you don't sort of understand that dynamic, you can feel like they don't they're not affected by anything and it can cause problems. And what, what we see, too, is that women tend to be more intuitive grievers, not all the time, but but where they're they are more emotive and that's how they get through grieving. You know, dads tend to be more intuitive grievers where they get busy doing things um, to kind of get through their grief. They may all of a sudden have lots of projects or be playing lots of video games, you know, and sort of the discrepancy can cause, you know, issues. Um, But it's important to to say, and I say this every time, is that we have this myth that um, parents who lose a child are at risk for losing their marriage. And Compassionate Friends, which is a uh, national organization that supports bereaved parents, did two studies and show that the actual divorce rate among people who've had losses is actually lower than the national divorce rate. So that's very important to make clear because I think that adds more anxiety to the whole situation. So the most important thing is to try to keep the communications open and respect each other's different grieving styles. Mm You mentioned about different things and different ways that usually the woman and the partner react and how they deal with grief. What kind of things can the partner do or can other loved ones of the woman who has had an experience a loss, uh, what can they do? What can they say to help support that woman during that time? Well, I think the most important thing is to not let your fear of what to say and do make you go away. Because that's what happens. I mean, I think everybody here probably has had an experience like that. And everyone kind of focuses on what do I say? But I think what's more important is really understanding what the process is for the family. Because if you understand that, then it's going to help you know what to do. And so knowing that it's going to be a foggy time initially, and that a few months later, they're not going to be doing better. They're probably going to be doing worse. It's probably really going to hit them. Don't go away. Don't assume that they're fine in a few months. Check in. Don't assume that they don't want to hear if the baby was an older baby and they named their baby, that they don't want to hear the baby's name because that's going to upset them. Um, As a client of mine said, the only time I don't cry is when somebody's saying my baby's name. There's a real need for that. Or don't assume that they don't want to talk about the miscarriage. And and maybe they don't, but it's always sort of good to check in, you know, and keep those lines open. It's, It's amazing how many stories I hear of even close family members who don't um, go forward to families. Um, I agree, Yvonne. And and I was just thinking what that brought to mind was, um, especially for for miscarriage, first trimester losses, I think what happens, especially if it's someone's first pregnancy, which oftentimes that that happens, um, during the time, and all they've really ever experienced is, is being pregnant, then they get to their due date. And then it becomes, oh, I should have been pregnant, to, oh, I should have my baby. And that's a whole nother trauma that, that, that we go through of, oh, my gosh, my baby would be here now. And um, then it becomes, you know, sometimes it's difficult to see pregnant women. Then it's difficult to see, you know, newborns. And so the process doesn't really end right. um, oftentimes, especially if you're unable to have 
if you're unable to have a successful pregnancy mm-hmm. in the future, um, then from then on, you know, you see uh, families, you, see, you know, the whole just seeing young babies or seeing babies that would children that would be the age of that child can still be traumatic. And um, I think a lot of times, you know, we would, especially for myself, I have a, a friend who lost her daughter at nine years of age due to a car accident. And that's unimaginable to me. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of times we tend to compare our our types of losses to someone who lost their child to illness or uh, you know a, a trauma like that, and we th- we sort of start to minimize our own experience in, in, in doing this comparative type of thing. But in in reality, it's just it's just a different uh, it's a just a different experience mm-hmm. and, and hits us in different places. And right. So. Well, you said something interesting, so Suzanne, of being of seeing pregnant women, and that was a real trigger for oh, me, yeah. uh, especially being a, a birth doula. You know, I've known Ugh. other birth doulas who, uh, in the community, they have to just take a break because it's too hard emotionally for them. Um, after my first loss, I, I was uh, I'm, uh, I'm married to a, a military man, and so that's kind of what we do. They get back from deployment, and then you get pregnant. You know, <laughs> uh, so you're, everybody's constantly popping out babies, and so that was very hard for me in my community where. It just every time I, where I looked, I I was keyed into that of is everyone pregnant but me, you know, and and I couldn't go to baby showers and all those things. I actually um, I belong to a wonderful play group with lots of really wonderful moms, and I ended up having to drop out of the play group because everybody was having their second baby. Mm-hmm. Everyone was pregnant at the same time that I was, and they were all having their babies, and it just it was too much for me. And some of them, I I knew some of them understood, and some of them I felt they took it personally, like you know, but it it just had to be. I I finally realized I this is something I need to do. Mm-hmm. I need to be in a different environment so that I'm not constantly surrounded by <laughs> people talking about babies and being pregnant and yeah, and that's normal. And I think it's important for for families going through this to understand that these emotions are normal. They're typical. Um, there are many of us that have been through this and we all think maybe we're overreacting or we're crazy, but the truth really is that it's all on a normal continuum of, of reaction to having gone through this. Right. Right. Um, I was going to touch on when we're speaking about the things that could be said, you know, to someone in such a situation of loss and, um, you know, and just preparing to come onto the program, I obviously been thinking about my own experience and thinking about these types of questions. And um, four years outside of the loss of my son, I thought to myself, I'm still struggling to come up with an answer because I think that there is this um, this this hope that everybody has that there's some string of words uh, that are perfect and compassionate that you can put together to to say to somebody who's been in this situation. And um, no such words exist because the implication in the question, what can I say to somebody, is that there would somehow be this perfect word or or thing that you can say that would bring healing, hope, uh, comfort to something where there really isn't any. And um, as I was thinking, I, I, I came up with a question to myself, which was, um, if, you know, gosh, what can I possibly say? And then it occurred to me, if somebody said that to, to me, 
if uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, <laughs> nerves getting the best of me. If um, <clears throat> if somebody had come to me and they said, Sky, I'm so sorry, what can I possibly say? That actually kind of encompasses a lot of things and would in and of itself acknowledge a few things. One, it would acknowledge the enormity of my grief and my loss. And um, in doing so, if somebody said that to me, it would also uh, give humanity to my baby at any stage and recognize their value to me and validate my feelings of loss and grief. Yeah, or not even what can I say, but just I don't know what to say. Exactly. I have I I am so sorry for for what you're going through and I I have I don't even know what to say. I'm just speechless and so sad for you and I'm thinking of you and I love you. Right. And that's really exactly. all Those you can are the really that you can say but And I'm thinking of your of your sweet baby. Right. You know. And like Yvonne said too if there is a situation where uh you've got a name for your child um recognizing and Speaking that name is is huge mm-hmm. to a mom who's been through that and and a dad as well. Ladies, thank you for all of your stories and uh, your experiences and sharing that. When we come back, we'll discuss how to reach out for support after a loss, as well as how to deal with different emotions in a future pregnancy. We'll be right back. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. Today we're talking about seeking support after losing a baby with Yvonne Rothermel. Yvonne, we were talking about this a little bit before we started taping, but how can pregnancy loss affect a woman during a future pregnancy? Oh, lots of ways, right? First of all, it's when you have like a major loss, you also have what's called secondary losses. And those are other losses associated with the main loss, which is one of the big ones for moms is that I've lost that ignorant, blissful feeling that most pregnant women get to have who have not been through loss. And that is a huge loss for moms. And you really feel it in a subsequent pregnancy because you don't get to feel as excited about it. You're stressed out. You're anxious. Um, You know, you may have times where you are able to feel moments of hope and and joy, but for the most part, um, it can be very, very stressful. Um, And and oftentimes you'll see moms doing, (coughs) you know, not buying Uh, things for the baby, not setting up the room for the baby, because they've had the experience of having to get rid of all of it, or having to send it, put it, pack it away. And that's very hard. So there's this, there's this, you know, horrible dilemma of wanting to attach, because maybe you might lose this baby, you want to soak them up. But there's also this feeling of I don't want to attach too much, because I don't believe this baby's really going to be here with me. 
And, uh, and then often it calls to going back to the hospital, the triage room. You know, uh, if you're at the same hospital, all these things can be very traumatic for moms. Um, and I think we really need to do a better job educating medical personnel about subsequent pregnancies so that women don't feel so crazy <laughs> when they have all these emotions and go in because they're very typical. And if you have a good health care provider, it can help a lot in managing some of that. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, and also so they don't feel crazy calling their doctor right. far more often than most pregnant right. women do <laughs> right. about every little ache and pain and, and whatnot. Right. Uh, it's traumatic thinking. Because We've one of the most common things um, that that we feel is, what did I miss? What what did I, I should have done something. I When I felt this or that, I should have called my doctor. There's, there's this illusion that we could have prevented the loss. Right. And so many of us... Uh, call our doctors much more uh, during that subsequent pregnancy or pregnancies. Um, and hopefully the doctors will be kind and compassionate and understanding about the fact that we need a lot of reassurance. Right. Or maybe reaching out um, to medical uh, care providers and asking for extra testing, extra ultrasounds, yes. Yes. that reassurance of, okay, this is a different pregnancy and everything's going okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it can be difficult, too. Um, After my losses, each pregnancy seemed to bring um, different obstacles. I always had something wrong with the pregnancy, you know, high blood pressure, or we had a problem with the umbilical cord. It it was... It was just every t- every pregnancy, even my healthy subsequent pregnancies, I, I felt like there was always some issue. So I was always on pins and needles. I was always scared. Um, I just wanted that baby here. And then once the baby's here, then you have more worries and concerns. Right. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. Yvonne, what are some common community resources? Now, we're here in San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, but Preggy Pals is listened to throughout uh, the nation here. So um, what what can a woman do to reach out? What kind of support um, is there for miscarriage and infant loss? Um, well, I, I have some names of some of the national supports um, that women can um, turn to. Um, one of the one of the nice ones is is firstcandle.org, um, and they have a grief counseling line that's open twenty four seven for anybody to call in, um, and that number is one eight hundred two two one seven four three seven, and that's a really good support for moms who might n- feel lonely and feel like they don't have anybody to talk to, and they can call that line. There's also the Share Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support group online, um, which is www.nationalshare.org, as well as the Ms. Foundation, which is www.msfoundation.org, and Compassionate Friends, um, which is www.compassionatefriends.org. And all these various groups, um, most of them have online support resources as well. Like the Ms. Foundation actually has um, groups, um, miscarriage, they kind of divide it up so you can get on an online group that's more specific to your type of loss. Um, I really think it's important to say that not all losses are the same. And <coughs> we tend to lump everything into sort of perinatal loss. But, you know, there are some different types of losses, like I, particularly, I think, for these moms that have medical terminations who had a poor perinatal diagnosis who then need to terminate the pregnancy. I find these moms really have a hard time finding support services. And there's a good online site for them as well called Heartbreaking Choice. Um, dot com. So um, that's a place that they could go that has more specific support for that type of loss, which I think is a very specific loss um, for them. So there's there's lots of places you can reach out. Some of these places have links to local groups 
where you can get um, help as well. Um, <clears throat> and it's important to, to reach out. And also, you know, in terms of this being a lonely loss, one of the things I really encourage moms to do, um, and this feels kind of like, you know, it's hard to feel it, realize that you need to do this, but I suggest writing an email when this happens, when you feel ready to your support group and just kind of stating what you need and what's helpful because the loneliness of the loss comes from a lot of just misunderstanding and miscommunication. And sometimes it really comes on the bereaved to be able to kind of say what you need to sort of, you know, help people know how to respond to you. And I think that can also help bridge some of those communication gaps and hopefully bring some more support closer to you um, because people just don't know what to do when it comes to that. I noticed that um, I think that people a lot of times, I've always said that I think that people are certainly well-intentioned for the most part, you know, by and large, they're looking for anything that they could say or do to support you. And um, and certainly the intentions are, are good behind that. But um, there is a very huge misconception that when you've gone through miscarriage or, or neonatal loss or a stillbirth or any of those um perinatal losses that uh, that you need to have your space, that you need to be alone. Um, and that's exactly the opposite of what people need. And, um, you know, I, I've spent the last four years describing the support systems in my life, my friends and family, those who have really been there to, to show support as my support beams, quite literally. And um, if you think of, there's a lot of different analogies that we use sometimes to describe our grief journeys. And if you think of a person standing out at the end of a pier, uh, a mom or a dad, and um, they're looking out over the, you know, the beautiful ocean and, the, and there's endless possibilities and hope. And then this loss occurs. Well, those support beams beneath you literally crumble and you just are drowning in in pain and sorrow and you feel completely alone and what you need is someone to reach in and just bring you above those crashing waves and to to just be present in your life and um to not leave and and to be willing uh, with an open heart to to listen to you and to allow you to speak about it that's been for me one of the the biggest parts of my process or healing is to be able to feel free to speak about it very openly and to have that welcome by the people that are closest to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to, you were talking about being alone and, um, you know, everyone's different and some people do need to have space and some people need to be surrounded by others. But, <clears throat> and in, in my case, I had, I needed both. I think there were days that I needed one or the other, but uh, certainly there were many days that I sat alone as I needed to be and the phone would ring and I would hear someone leaving me a message and that made me f I didn't pick up the phone I wasn't in a place to speak to anyone but just knowing that they were thinking of me and they called mm -hmm. and they just said hi you know no need to call me back just wanted to let you know I was thinking of you and you know hope today's you know going all right for you and and I love you and you know, that could be done by a, by a text or an email or a phone call. Um, because remember, we, we can choose whether we open that email or pick up that phone. But but just knowing that someone's reaching out um, is really, like, like Sky said, is really the important thing. 
And like you said, Annie, you know, you were surrounded by pregnant parenting moms. And oftentimes that's the case, right? Because we're mm-hmm. people having babies are at that age. And you may be getting invites to baby showers, Facebook pictures, or posting pictures of their new baby. And it just feels like this onslaught. And so <clears throat> I think it's important to, to see yourself as you know, having a wound and, and you need to sort of protect that. And it's okay to sort of set some boundaries around what you're going to, you know, what you're going to go to and what you're not. But I think those friends also need to understand that doesn't mean that they can't still reach out to you or need to reach out to you because that's part of the loneliness is because sometimes you have to push away some of that for a while in your healing, but that, you know, then you end up pushing away your social group. So I think, you know, that's how friends and family can support is really understanding the need for moms to have to maybe set some limits on that, but that doesn't mean they don't encourage friendship in other ways, you know, and to be sensitive to that. So. Thank you so much, Yvonne, for joining us today. For more information about Yvonne and her practice, as well as information about any of our panelists, visit the episode page on our website. This conversation continues for members of our Preggy Pals Club. After the show, Yvonne will share some tips on helping older siblings heal from pregnancy loss. To join our club, visit our website, preggypals.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, Preggy Pals listeners. I'm Robin Kaplan, an international board-certified lactation consultant, owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center, and the host and producer of Preggy Pals' sister show, The Boob Group. I'm here to offer some advice on what you can do during pregnancy to prepare for a positive breastfeeding experience, such as locate a local, welcoming breastfeeding support group. Yes, we all know that breastfeeding is natural and normal, yet many of us first-time moms have never really been around a breastfeeding mother. Plus, many of the children we see breastfeeding in public may be covered up with a blanket, so we often don't even know what breastfeeding actually looks like. A few years ago, after I had set up my first breastfeeding support group, I overheard a group of new moms talking about how they wish they had gone to a breastfeeding support group while they were still pregnant. This shocked me a little, as I wasn't sure why they thought this would have been helpful. As I listened to their reasons, it began to make complete sense, and now I recommend it to all of the first-time moms that I meet. And this is what they said. First of all, these moms mentioned that after they had their babies, they were a little bit anxious to go somewhere they had never been before. They didn't know where they would park their car, they didn't know where to park their strollers, and visiting the support group while they were pregnant, they felt they would be able to figure out all of these details, as well as taking the vibe of the group to see if it was somewhere they felt they would belong. Once seeing new moms at the group with babies under two weeks old, they thought it would help them to come sooner after their babies were born. They thought they would also have been less intimidated. 
Secondly, they would have liked to see what a breastfeeding woman really looks like without the cover. How did she sit? How did she latch her baby? Did she use a breastfeeding pillow? Did she wear one of those nursing tanks? All of these little things they could just gauge just by checking around the room. And they thought that that would have been incredibly helpful. Lastly, they would have liked the opportunity to ask these new moms questions about what life was like with a newborn. Many of the women who attended my support group were not from San Diego, so they didn't have a ton of friends or family around who had young children. The support group became their village, where they could seek advice from new friends. Pregnant moms have the opportunity at the support group to interact with new moms, ask questions about local resources, and then just get a general sense of what life may look like after they have had their babies. Seeing breastfeeding moms, especially those who have overcome challenges, can be just enough inspiration for a new mom to persevere to meet her personal breastfeeding goals, especially if you make a connection with another mom who can encourage you during any of these challenges that you may have. It's definitely worth the hour during your maternity leave while pregnant to visit a local breastfeeding support group, so I highly recommend finding one that you really enjoy. For more great information about what you can do during pregnancy to prepare for a positive breastfeeding experience, check out my blog at sandiegobreastfeedingcenter.com backslash blog, and be sure to listen to Preggy Pals in the Boob Group for fantastic conversations about breastfeeding and breastfeeding support. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Preggy Pals. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Parent Savers, for parents with newborns, infant, and toddlers, and our show, The Boob Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies. Next week, we're talking about the Webster technique and how chiropractic care can help turn a breech baby to a head-down position. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, Please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.